phrase. I know there's a couple of you fellows in here that really like shoes. You're just too afraid to admit it. But I, I really like shoes growing up. And when I was 15, there was a pair of shoes that I really wanted. They were called the Nike LeBron 2 Birthday Edition. Now, some of you already are like, you're such a nerd. I know, okay? Stick with me. Nike LeBron 2 Birthday Edition. They were LeBron James's shoes, and there was a special pair that came out on his birthday. Now, there was only 500 pairs released. Only 500 pairs released. released. They, were in, they were what's called an online release only. So you couldn't go to the store and get these. You could only order them online. And they came out at a specific time, 9 p.m., midnight Eastern Standard Time. Yes, I still remember. So you had to be online at 9 p.m. to get them. And they retailed for 125 bucks. Now, I was 15, and um, I didn't have a whole lot of bills, so all of my money went to shoes. So $125, I'm like, oh, yeah, easily. So I'm sitting on the computer at my dad's office. At, like, I get in there at 850. I'm like, there's no way I'm missing the release of these shoes. Started like 857. Every 10 seconds, I'm hitting refresh, 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 refresh. I'm not going to miss them. At 901. They finally popped up, got the size in, clicked buy now. Now I got my shoes. <laughs> now, there was no Amazon Prime back in the day. This is like 2004, I think. You know, this is, in, this is in the dark ages. How did we live without Amazon Prime, people? No Amazon Prime. But I did get fast shipping because I want to get them as soon as I could. So I got fast shipping, and before I knew it, in a few days, they were in my they were there at the house. I took them out of the box. It's like, oh, these are like the most valuable pair of shoes I have. I showed them to my mom and my dad, and they didn't really think they were near as awesome as I thought. In fact, I think I have a picture of them up here. Looking back, I'm like, they're not really that great. They're just a pair of black shoes. Have you ever had something that at one time you really valued, and you look back and you're like, why did I really make a big deal of that? Yeah, those shoes right there in my life. So, there's only 500 pairs of these Nike LeBron suits that came out. And a, a few days after I got them, after I had shown my parents, oh, I also took pictures of them from, like, all these different angles. And I took these pictures and I posted them in an online shoe community with other shoe nerds. <laughs> so I could show everybody how cool my shoes were even though they knew exactly what they looked like, because they were the 500 nerds that went and did the same thing I did. But I found out that because they were such limited quantity, you could resell them and make quite a bit more money. In fact, these shoes that retailed for $125 were selling for upwards of five and $600 online. Now, some of you guys are like, that's crazy. Those shoes, five or $600. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But all of a sudden, I thought, $500. Now, $500 is a lot of money right now. When I was 15 years old, $500 was really a lot of money. Now, some of you guys think I'm like 16, okay? I was talking to somebody before, and she was saying, you don't look like a minister. You just look like a normal young man. I said, how young do you think I am? She kind of looked at me. She was like, 22. I'm 29. 
How many of you guys thought I was younger than 29? Everybody's going to raise their hand, okay? So, so I saw that these shoes I could sell for upwards of $500, and immediately my 15-year-old mind has, like, never seen $500 in my life. I could, oh, it must, might as well have been $50,000. And I'm like, these shoes, $500. These shoes, $500. Those pictures I took for my online sneaker community, I'm putting those pictures on eBay, and I'm selling these shoes for $500. So I put them on eBay. And I waited, and for a while, nobody, nobody really bid a whole lot. But after a while, they ended up selling for close to $400. And as a 15-year-old, I had this, like, moment. These shoes that I thought were so valuable, they were incredible. When I compared them to $500, I was like, put them online, give me the money. Because I found something of greater value than those Nike LeBron 2s that I waited to get and did all that. In Matthew 13, we see two men. They had some valuable things. But they found something of greater value. And when they found that thing that had greater value, they willingly gave up those things of lesser value. Jesus in Matthew 13 told multiple stories. And in a period of three verses, he gave two stories. They're called parables. And what a parable is, is it's a story that Jesus would tell that would communicate a spiritual truth. And what Jesus does in Matthew 13 is he's going to communicate a great spiritual truth. That if we grasp a hold of it, can literally change the outlook of our entire lives. Matthew 13, verse number 44, this is what the scriptures says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven, the gospel, the reality that Jesus came, he died, he buried, he rose again, is like, um, is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and, brought, and bought that field. Can we, say, can we say the words in his joy together? Ready? In his joy. In his joy. Now Jesus builds this story, this parable, this one verse parable, around an experience that we're very familiar to as hearers. He, he talks about hiding valuables. Now, these people knew all about hiding valuables. The practice of hiding valuables at this time was not uncommon. You have to think that in this first century, there wasn't public depositories, there weren't banks um, where they can just put their money anywhere. So what people did to protect their valuables is they would find a place in the ground and they would hide their money. And when they needed money to go and sell something or, or trade something, trade jewelry or whatnot, they would go to that place at night, uncover the jar, um, uncover the place of storage, take out what was desired, and then they would rebury the rest. You also have to consider that Israel was a place where there was many battles, where there was many wars that had taken place over hundreds of years before. So when an invading army would come through, they would just pillage everything, so what would people do? 
They would take their valuables. They would take um, the things that mattered most to them, the possessions they had, whether that's jewelry or, or clothes or whatever, and they would bury them. And sometimes what would happen is the army would come through. They would kill everybody, so there would be nothing left. But there would still be several places where there would be treasure buried in the ground. In fact, in Israel, there's an archaeological dig site called Qumran. And in Qumran, what they discovered is they literally found a map that identified 64 different places that people in that community had hidden, had buried treasure in 64 different places. So burying things was not uncommon. In fact, in Jewish law, it says if you found something and that was buried, that, that was um, on, on your property, you could uncover it and it was yours. So many people in Jesus' day, they, they lived with the excitement of, hey, one day I can find some buried treasure. They would love to find hidden treasure. Goodness gracious, I would love to find some hidden treasure. You guys ever seen uh, the Nicolas Cage movie, National Treasure? Where you got like the coded map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. I confession make. I've probably seen that movie like 15 times. I think it's a great movie, you know. I think it would be so cool. I'm kind of nerding out a little bit. I think it would be so cool to like dig somewhere and then boom, there's like a treasure chest. And I open it up and it's like, pi- it's like a pirate's golden chest or something like that. I think that would be awesome. These people here, they live with the reality of, hey, maybe one day I can find some hidden treasure. Now, this man in Matthew 13, he's not a rich man because rich men weren't working in the field. So this was an ordinary man. This was a guy that probably didn't have a whole lot. And he makes this discovery. And what this man does, it's kind of crazy. The scripture says in verse, um, verse 44 that this treasure is so valuable that in his joy, he sells everything he has. So we can buy the field and get this treasure. I want you to think, what if I told you this week you had to get rid of everything you had? Get rid of your house, get rid of your cars, get rid of your jewelry, get rid of your shoes, get rid of your electronic devices, get rid of your Nintendo Switch. You had to get rid of everything. Now, right now, you're thinking, I wouldn't want to do that. Of course not. Get this. This guy, the scripture says he didn't just sell everything to get this field and get the treasure. It said he did it with joy. In other words, this treasure that he found was so valuable, he was happy to give it all up. Have my boat, have my car, have my house, have it all. Because I want this Can you imagine discovering something so valuable that you would willingly give up all of your earthly possessions just so you can obtain this treasure? In light of the value of the treasure he was about to receive, what he currently possessed really wasn't that valuable. Let's read on in verse number 45. It says, Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. First story, we have a common man working in a field. 
this next story, we have a wealthy man. This man was a pearl merchant. This man would go around looking for pearls. This man spent his time seeking fine pearls. Pearls were the most highly valued gems in the ancient world, and often they were bought as investments. In fact, if you study um, Egyptian and Roman culture, there were people that actually worshipped pearls because of how valuable they were. The Jewish um, Talmud, it said that pearls were beyond price. So you have a pearl merchant here who's in search of pearls, and he finds a pearl that's so valuable that he's willing to give up every other pearl to obtain this pearl. This is a man that has a much more comfortable life than the first man. Now, maybe the first man, he was more ordinary, so he didn't have as much stuff to give up. This second man had a lot of things to give up. Maybe the first man, he didn't have much of a place to live. This second man had a big place to live. Maybe the first man didn't have a whole lot of things. This second man had a a, a ton of stuff. But their response is exactly the same. What they had discovered was so much greater than what they had. They both were gladly willing to give it up. These men couldn't be any more different. One was a blue-collar worker. One was a white-collar worker. One didn't have a lot. The other had a whole lot. One wasn't looking for treasure. He stumbled across it in a field. The other man was looking for treasure. He was looking for pearls. But both of these men encountered something of such value that they walked away from everything they owned because what they were gaining was so much greater. This is what Jesus is doing here. He was a master storyteller. And what Jesus is doing is he's he's trying to paint a picture for these people that are listening. But he's trying to paint a picture for all of us in this room. He's trying to paint a picture for every person. And here's the picture. He's trying to paint a picture of how valuable the gospel, the person and message of Jesus is. And he's trying to paint this picture that says the truth of the gospel in the implications of this truth, it's so valuable that if you will see the gospel accurately, if you will see the gospel for what it is, not a distorted, skewed view, not something that maybe somebody has twisted, but if you will see the gospel for what it really is, you will see something so valuable that you will not just lay down everything for it but you will gladly lay down everything for it. That's crazy. you got two guys that are like, you can have it all just so I can get that. (laughs) Because when you see the gospel for what it is, you are willing to give up anything for it. i got to be honest. I read the story and I think, is the gospel this valuable to me? I read the story and I think, is the gospel so valuable that I would give up anything for it? And I wonder, how valuable is the message of Jesus to you? How valuable is the person of Jesus 
to you? And here's a better question. How do we go from the place in our lives to from where we are to a place where I see the, value, the gospel so valuable that I would be willing to give up all these other things if God asked me to because of him? How do we get there? Well, this is, this is how we get there. It's a process. Here's the first step in the process. Number one, we have to assess what's truly valuable in life. It begins with assessing what's valuable in life. You think about what these men did. They found the treasure. They found the pearl. And what did they have to do? They had to assess how valuable is this pearl. How valuable is this treasure? Then they also had to assess how valuable is my earthly possessions? How valuable is what I currently have? Now, if you think about it, we make assessments all the time. You go to a restaurant. You pull out a menu. You assess, this looks good, this doesn't look good. If you're like me, and I see anything with mushrooms, I assess that that does not look very good. How many of you in here, you do not like mushrooms? I'm I'm so glad there are some Jesus followers in here, the rest of y'all. I got some questions for you guys. We make assessments about what are we going to eat. We make assessments about what TV series we're going to watch. Or what movie we're going to watch. I don't know about you, but I have like a list of things to watch on Netflix. But I feel like I could spend like the next 24 hours watching Netflix series. But it's going to take me forever to watch them. So i got to pick which one looks the best. Maybe you've sold a car. Or maybe you've sold your home. What did you do? You assessed its value. You had to get an honest look at how valuable this thing truly is. And so often in our lives, what we do is we place value on things without even realizing it, and we place more value on things than they're actually worth. The gifted author David Foster Wallace, who is not a Christian, spoke about what we place our values on at a secular college, at a commencement address, shortly before he committed suicide. A gifted author, he was surveying the world, he was surveying his life experiences, he was in his early 40s, and this is what he says. He says, the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, to place ultimate value on, is that pretty, pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship, if you place a supreme value on money and things... If they are where you tap your real meaning from life, then you will never feel you have enough. Because somebody else will always have a little bit more. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you place such a high value on those, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, which we all know they do, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Now, this is not a Christian writing these things. You worship power. You'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship, value your intellect, how smart you are. And you'll end up feeling like a fraud because you're always on the verge of being found out, because you want everybody to know how smart you are. You can't tell them that maybe you're not that smart. 
But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are our default settings. This is what a a non-Christian that's literally towards the end of his life and is about to totally give up. All these things that we place value on are pretty much worthless. Power, money, things, sexual allure. You think about this. He's talking to a group of 21, 22, 23-year-olds, hundreds and probably thousands of them, and saying, hey, you're about to get out in the real world. Now, it's probably a good idea if you really worship God because these things don't really work. They leave you empty. Millard Fuller tells a story about how he became a millionaire at the age of 29 years old. He was married and he bought his wife everything she wanted. There was nothing that they couldn't have. They lived the life. They lived the American dream. One day he came home from work and was shocked. There was a note that was penned there in his house. His wife said, I'm leaving. I'm not happy. Immediately, he went searching for her. Immediately, he tried to find her. This was before there was technology and computers and all those types of things. And and he went on a search for her. And finally, he found her in New York City. He says that my wife and I, we talked the rest of the evening into the wee hours of the morning. And this is what his wife said. His wife said, we have everything, but inside I feel like I'm nothing. We have everything, but I feel so empty. And he describes this spiritual awakening where him and his wife knelt there at their bedside in a hotel room. And they decided that they were going to sell what they had so they could help those that were underprivileged. The next morning, they they found a local church, and they went to a church, and and they told the pastor, this is kind of the story of our lives. This is where we've been. We've experienced all these things, but they've left us empty. and, And from that decision, they started an organization that you might be familiar with. It's called Habitat for Humanity. That's in literally dozens of countries and in all 50 states. And what Habitat for Humanity does is Habitat for Humanity builds homes for those that are underprivileged. And that organization literally got started from the realization that all these things that were of such high value, they thought, ultimately left them empty. I wonder, if you were honest, what do you place high value on? Is your high value on your 401k? Is your high value on having things? Is your high value on having power? Is your high value on having control? Is your high value in comfort and pleasure? Are you placing high value on things that ultimately don't give you joy? If so, there's hope. Because like the man in the story, there is something that you can discover that will give you so much joy that you will gladly lay those things down. 
first of all, we have to assess what's really valuable. Those things I'm placing value on, are they really valuable? But second of all, you have to discover the joy that's found in the gospel. In the first story, the man sells everything he has, and he does it with joy. The man is filled with joy because of the value of what he is gaining far outweighs the sorrow of what he is losing. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, is this a metaphor that you would use for your encounter with the gospel? That it was like finding a treasure that was so valuable that you would gladly give up everything for it? Or would you use a metaphor of encountering the gospel is like encountering a never-ending to-do list? Just tired. Would you use a metaphor for the gospel, discovering the gospel is like being tied to ball and chain that weighs you down and keeps you from having fun? Would you use a metaphor like, well, when I found the gospel, I just, now I just live in guilt all the time. And, and what, some of these, what, what some of these things show us is that we don't understand who Jesus is. And we don't understand what Jesus declares about us. We can be filled with joy because of what the gospel says about you. I want you to think for a minute. This is what the gospel says. The gospel says you are accepted. You are 100% accepted. You know, a lot of times um, we talk about younger people and how they do things for acceptance and come on, grow up. But we do the same thing. The gospel says you are accepted 100%. The gospel said you are, says you are loved. You are 100% loved, not because of anything you do, but because of what God has done. The gospel says this, that you are significant. That the creator of the world thinks you're so significant, he died for you. The gospel says that God is with you. The gospel says that you've been forgiven. You don't have to live in guilt or shame because when Jesus looks at you, if you put your faith in him, you are forgiven. The gospel says that you have eternal joy. And friends, there's nothing greater than these realities. This story confronts a myth that so many Christians and people live with. And here's the myth, is that if I fully follow Jesus, I won't be happy. If I really follow Jesus, then, I, then I'm going to miss out. Let, let's suppose that on my wedding day, me and my wife stood at the altar, and the minister looked at my wife, and he said, Gina, would you say your vows to Nate? And my wife said, I hereby renounce all of my desires for romance, all of my desire for physical intimacy, and any and all happiness to become your wife. I'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. I don't want you to renounce those things. I don't want you to renounce romance or physical intimacy or happiness. I want you to have those things, but I want you to find those things in me. I want you to find physical romance and happiness and physical intimacy with me. So here's how we think about it. It's not that God doesn't want us to be happy, but it's that God wants you to find your ultimate happiness and your ultimate joy in him. 
And this is what it means when we read that God's a jealous God. It's not that God's up on his throne. He's insecure saying, oh, I, oh, come here. No. God knows that ultimate joy is found in him, and you'll never find true joy apart from him. And because he's a loving God and he's for you, he says, I want you because I want you to have ultimate joy. And when you find joy in all these other things, ultimately they leave you empty. So I'm going to be jealous for your sake because I'm a good God coming after you. Continue on with, with, the, with the marriage analogy. What would it be like if, if on my way to the altar, I'm, I'm walking down and I walk down with my mom and I'm kind of looking around at some other girls. I'm thinking, man, um, I might be happier with those girls, but I just think the right thing to do is for me to be with Gina. I mean, goodness, I owe it to her. I owe it to her parents. They put some money into the wedding. Guess we're going to go through with this. No. Absolutely not. When I married Gina, I lost my interest in any other girl. That's the way it was. And I, on our wedding day, I wasn't looking around and saying, man, I wonder if I'd have a shot with her. I'd, no. I was so consumed with the joy of what I was getting that I'd lost all interest or desire for everything else. And this is exactly how Jesus wants you to feel about him. That in light of who he is, that in light of his goodness, we lose the desire for all these other things when we realize the treasure of the gospel. Look what the scripture says in 1 Peter. It says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And can we say the underlying part together? Here we go are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Let's say it one more time, ready? Are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is what Peter says. He says, you have this pearl. You have this treasure. In Peter, these people are having persecution and all kinds of things. Their lives are at risk because of the faith. And he tells them, hey, you still have glorious joy. Wow. How can you live like that? Because you see the pearl for what it is. Because you see how valuable it is. C.S. Lewis says this, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant joy who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday of a vacation at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Here's my question. Have you discovered the gospel as your treasure? Have you discovered the gospel as your treasure? What do we do? We assess what's valuable. We assess, man, what's the value here? We see the joy that's in the pearl. We see the joy that's in the treasure. And then because of that, just like the men in this story, this is what we do. Number three, we align our lives around that treasure. Number three, we align ourselves around the treasure of the gospel. Immediately, they've assessed it. They've seen the value, they've seen the joy, and they make the decision. Which on the outward, you're looking in and you're like, imagine this is your friend, right? Imagine this is a family member, and they're selling everything on Craigslist. You're like, what are you doing? 
Like, they're giving up everything. But to them, because they had discovered the joy, they aligned themselves around it. I wonder, what is your life aligned around? What do you value above everything else? What in your life is God maybe calling you to do so you can better align yourself around the gospel? What in your life is God maybe calling you to give up so you can align your life better around the gospel? Maybe some of you in this room, you you felt a tug for a little while. Maybe you need to get more involved in the church here Maybe you need to give this thing up. Maybe you've just been feeling a tug for a while and you think, I just can't do it during this season. This is a really busy season of life. The kids got a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you're taking some classes. and, and you're, You have all these reasons why, why you just can't. But those aren't the real reasons. The real reason is because we haven't seen the treasure for what it is. The real reason is because we don't, See the pearl. Maybe you're in here and and you're not yet a Christian. And you've been considering Christianity. Maybe you have a friend that's been sharing their faith with you. Maybe you've looked some things up and, and you know. You know it's true. But there are some things that are standing in the way. This is what Jesus says. Look at the pearl. Look at the treasure. Look at it. And in light of the pearl, in light of the treasure, we will gladly be willing to give these things up. So as I wrap it up today and I pray, I got a homework assignment for you guys. How many of you guys like homework? How many of you guys say it's been a long time since I've had some homework? I, I, I got some homework for you guys as we wrap it up. And, and here's, here's your homework. Your homework is this. Sometime today, or sometime this week, I want you to take a few minutes, and I want you to do this. I want you to reflect on the gospel and ask yourself an honest question. Is there a place in my life that is not aligned around the gospel? Now, I want this just to be between you, yourself, and God. And I know we live in a noisy world, right? We always have the radio on, or TVs on, or iPad, whatever. This I want you to do sometime this week. Maybe it's on your way home from here. Maybe it's on your commute to work. I just want you to think. Just, I want you to take some time and reflect on the gospel and ask yourself honestly, is my life aligned around the gospel? Sometime this week, just between you and God. There was a missionary several years ago. This missionary, he was a missionary to Portugal. His name was Robert Reed. In the early 70s, he went to Portugal by himself. And the unusual thing about Robert Reed was he had cerebral palsy. So his hands were twisted up, couldn't use his legs. He was in a wheelchair. Incredibly, in a way that only God works, in eight years he had seen 70 people put their faith and trust in Christ going to a foreign country, international country, and, and, and everything he did there. And he stood up on a stage and told a story. People were crying. 
people were just inspired at how he had given his life and all that had happened. He couldn't, he couldn't button his shirt, so he had his kind of shirt Velcroed on. And as he was talking, he was describing his condition. He, he slowly raised his hand the best he could. He said, I want you guys to know, because I have Jesus, I have everything I need for joy. And while his shirt was put together with Velcro, his life was put together with joy. Because he had found and discovered place value on the pearl. This week, take some time to reflect on the pearl. Just be honest. What area of my life is not aligned around that pearl? Your life, just like Robert Reed's life, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you're going through, can be described as a life with joy. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you that we would just take some time this week and just reflect. We would just take some time this week and we would think about how valuable the pearl is. Maybe there's some Christians in here that have been Christians for a long, long time and they've just forgotten how valuable it is. I pray for somebody here that's not yet a Christian. They haven't put their faith in Jesus. God, that they would just see who you are. And in light of that, they would turn away from whatever's holding them back and put their complete faith and trust in Christ. Lord, this week, help us to just reflect on this truth. Even right now as I'm praying, reflect on this and see what area of my life is not aligned with that truth. And God, I believe when we see the greatness of the gospel, we will then realign ourselves with that pearl. Thank you for being a God that loves, that forgives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.